Look up there in the sky. It's a bird, a plane. It's Handsome Boys Comics Hour. Those boys are so handsome. One artist. One weekly discussion of comics and nerd culture. I'm your host, Robbie Norman, literature geek and writer. And I'm your other host, Eric Z. Goodnight, professional artist and illustration nerd. We are the Handsome Voice Comics Hour. You're home for news, reviews, slightly antagonistic banter, and much, much more. Woohoo! Robbie thinks it's hilarious that my voice is destroyed. Well, I just think you're hilarious. Oh, that's, that is a true fact, but, you know, what are you gonna do? Not drink fireplace whiskey? It, that had very little to do with it. I know you were you were you were fighting the throat monsters before. Mm-hmm. Throat monsters. You're, you're trying things. to bait me to get me to say uh, throat monsters back. There, I've done it. <laughs> there, I've done it. So, handsome guys, how are you guys doing out there? Got a great episode for you. We were beginning our look back at preacher three parter tackling preacher in three gigantic portions, and uh, we'll need every little bit of it. I have a feeling. Uh, we're going to talk about things we've done. Let's in see. theory. In theory. Mm-hmm. In theory. But uh, let's let's cut the crap and let's get to weekly floppies. Cut the shit. Cut it. And then I play this. Then I play cut. this noise. <laughs> were you doing the Dave Coulier? Uncle yes, Joey? of course I was doing the Dave Coulier. <laughs> Reference Dave Coulier constantly. I don't know why. Because it's funny i don't know he is funny he's a hilarious guy mm-hmm. uncle we, joey uncle joey this uh weekly floppies bar show eric and i will talk about this week's books tell you to buy or do not buy them uh this week uh conspicuously see absent once again is dc eh. i you know i if i don't want to read something at all probably not gonna buy it so first up southern cross number one uh, let's see, story by Becky Cloonan, art Andy Bellinger, Lee Luffridge on colors, Serge Lapointe on letters. Uh, Becky sure can write a good story. Yep, she's uh, she's she's like recently our metal muse. I know she she's giving us some good uh, some good metal band advice. Becky Cloonan this. checking in with the new Enslaved album. Towards... That's what it that's, she's checking into. Yeah, uh, Southern Cross is. Sort of sp- dirty, gr- grim sci-fi mystery. I would say it. It's you know that dark industrial of alien, mm-hmm. yeah, mining and stuff like that. And there's a, a a woman who is trying to find out why her sister died, trying to get answers. What do you think, Eric? You for you for it or again it? I'm for it. For it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you liked it? Yeah. Well. I I think Alien is a really very apt comparison now that I uh I look at it um through that lens. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, female lead character at least it sort of uh, and it's looking like it's going to be very horror slanted by the end of the book and sort of through the overall tone of it. Yeah. It's uh it's a strong book. I I picked this up um picked up one of one of these things. What is that? I know, right? Paper? Mm-hmm. Paper copy? Look what it does. It moves? 
It flops. It flops. Ah, I see what you did there. Yeah, I know. I picked that up just, just not even seeing that it was on, uh, on our list for this week. I was picking <laughs> it up because it had the clune on it. Mm. I'm excited for this book. It's got very interesting, nice line work, very good stylization. And, you know, Becky Cloonan is very good. I don't know why the, the captain has this grizzly beard and, um, like wing eyeliner. <laughs> just, he, he just came out that way. He can't help it. I guess so. He's, he's just, he's just lovely. He can't help it. I, I don't, I, I think that he is my only problem with this book. Oh, this yeah. issue. In that she's like, the main character is very like, uh, like a, a loner outcast, mm-hmm. like by her own design. She doesn't, she wanted, she purposely avoids trying to make friends with her roommate, her bunkmate. Yeah, and she's yet, shitty. So and far. Then she, yeah, and then she, but she runs to the captain. And suddenly, you know, they're all like, you know, friendly and oh yeah, okay, sure, yeah, all that. Well, seems, she's I, she she's just very impressive because she's never met a drag king before. <laughs> I, I I guess we're supposed to like his mag his animal magnetism is so powerful that I can just so. over overwhelm this woman's defenses. But I'm 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 intrigued. I'm intrigued mm. by it. I, I I do I enjoy the art. I think uh, it's interesting. I do like that the alien, dark, industrial sci-fi aesthetic. Oh yes, absolutely. And there's a and it's and it's also a little bit of psychedelic kind of weird spacey stuff going on here too. Mm-hmm. That's not just and I think that does point towards the horror elements, especially that last page. That oh yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know what the hell to make of that, but. I guess that's it's, part of the the fun that's in, what you, the fun mystery. That's what you call a hook. Yeah, I know. Whoa, what what the hell is that? What's going on? I, I'm I'm so into it. You know what it made me think of is Odyssey. Really? Which which I don't like. <laughs> Just you know, independent book about traveling through space and whatever happening. But mm-hmm. the, I'm much much more interested in this. It feels. It feels more grounded and not all about being fucking weird. Yeah, that's, I think the story does, is the very good storytelling. Yeah. The, well, I mean, the, this, this is, this is, looks like a character driven story that just happens to be a science fiction story. And I had read Ben Bova had said that the best science fiction stories are, I mean, they're about people. Mm-hmm. It's not about space and I don't know what. I mean, who gives a shit about Titan? We care about people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm into it. I'm I'm all I'm all I'm all about it. You you you're a you're a buy. Right. Buy this here book. All right. I am. I, I, go ahead. I just wanted to clarify that I keep doing that voice because I can and I can't. <laughs> I, I sound a little bit more like I have a complete voice. Just to clarify. <laughs> I'm also by in this book. Uh, but it's, but it's, you can it, you can say it clearly. It's also it's intriguing. I am curious to see where it goes. Uh, we might be might be reading it in the future. I hope so. If we can squeeze it in, let's see if I can find where the credits page is in this crazy crazy book. Do you know where it is, here? Could you point me in the right direction? I did find it. It is it is tougher to find. Um. We're, uh, we're we're on the we're on the surface. Here, I found it. Yes, yes, we are. are now, I, I managed to to seek find the the wheat the needle. It's on page in the twelve. 
Yes. <laughs> the perfectly logical place for yes. your credits. <laughs> About one third through the book. Perfect. Yeah, this, yes. Now our next book is The Surface, number one. Drawn, no, was he written by Alice Cott, drawn by Langdon Foss, colored by Jordi Belair, designed by Tom Mueller, lettered by Clayton Cowles. Could you explain to me what's happening in this book, Eric? Do you have a grasp on what's happening? Not really. Um, this has kind of a little bit too much going on. I I got as far as, okay, most people are life loggers, mm-hmm. so to speak. Culture yes. as a whole, most people now basically kind of just wear cameras and are recording everything they do. Mm-hmm. And using that as a kind of a memory database, but also there's also the, the drawback that, you know, the government can possibly access it, you know, if they want to. So you're not, your privacy is not necessarily there. You know, it's, that's the debate, but it's not really about that because they're, they're like, there's this group of like three, two guys and a girl who are out like in the wilderness looking for the surface. But you don't really understand what the service actually is. But this is interspersed with like a weird businessman, and then like these weird interviews, and I could not connect the dots. Yeah, I don't think you're really supposed to at this point. Okay, it's um, it really does feel like a, a lot of very strange, disjointed things, and it is, you know, it's thematically toying with some things. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's you know. Security versus privacy. Um, the whole idea of, um, I, it, it really is trying to do kind of too much. And the, the, the whole sort of background rant about how this government figure is trying to turn, uh, like hackers and like people that want free information into like the next terror threat, you know, they're mm-hmm. trying to shape the narrative that way. And I think that that's interesting, but the fact that it's all jumbled together with all these other things, that I think that it's, it's a little bit too much. It, this is, this is, uh, I think this is a, a this is like a pen name for a, a Jodorowsky book. You know, <laughs> like this, this Alex Koss guy. Yeah, I, that was that I, was that was who was on page twelve, correct? Alice, Alice Cott. Yeah, I follow him actually. Alice, A L E S, Alice Cott. Yes. I follow him on Tumblr. Um, that I don't, I don't know. I, I you're you are I think correct in that it is there's too much in this, mm. and that I don't I don't know what's happening. For I mean, like I understand like that the part about the privacy and and mm-hmm. technology and all that stuff coming together. Yeah, you might I, be grasping like some of these elements, but I I think you you said you can't connect the dots, and I think that's. Mm. A relatively good way to look at this book. It, it, there's no clear picture of what's going on. All that being I, said, I don't dislike this book. Really? Mm-hmm. It looks nice. I will, I'll say that. I, I, I do like how it looks. It does look nice. I really enjoyed reading it. I, uh, it was, it was a, a good time and I'm, I'm intrigued. I don't think that it's, um, necessarily, necessarily a masterpiece. It is really very beautiful. There's millions of guys now that are, Drawing like Mobius, mm-hmm. making incomprehensible comic books. I would, I, I, I think I'm on page where like buy this and see if it hooks you. 
I think that's where I'm at. I'm probably going to sit this out until the trade comes out and then check out the trade for this. I think this is a good one to trade weight on, so I think you're making a good call. I, I think it would read better when you have more information. Mm. And I, I, I do see, like, there's definitely, like, interesting ideas here. I just don't know if you're going to get enough in one issue. I would say I'm probably a mushy buy on a single issue here. And if mm. you like it a lot, you know, go for more. But, you know, check it out and then see. I would say that's where I'm at. So maybe a three on the mush meter? I'm a solid buy, so. Mm, okay. Yeah, absolutely. But I agree with what you've just said. It makes a lot of sense. So 1.5. Mm. Buy 1.5 mush meter. Next up, the book that I understood a little bit more than the surface. <laughs> it is called Hellbreak, number one. Written by Cullen Bunn, illustrated by Brian Trurilla, colored by Dave Stewart, lettered by Crank, designed by Jerry K. Fletcher. Crank had an exclamation point, so I had to... Yes, it's important yes. to pronounce those exclamation points. Uh, this is a digital first release by Oni, so I imagine they will be putting out in paper eventually at some point. I don't know, they might want to see how the sales do digitally, I think that's how they do it a lot of time. But uh, I, the basic principle of this book is there's... People who go into hell and bring people back, mm -hmm. bring their souls back. They're like mercenaries that retrieve people, basically, from hell dimensions. Tactical ops. Yeah. I'm curious, Eric. What do you think? Uh, well, you know how I feel about Cullen Bunn. Um, this is, I mean, it's a good book. It's like, this is Pop like... Popcorn. Yeah, it is popcorn. It's like Die Hard. Yeah, it is. You know, I... It, it, it's it's well written for the genre that it is, and it's fun. It's nice. It's well drawn. The characters look interesting. The monsters are interesting, and it's a it's this it's a fresh it's a fresh idea for a comic book. I'm I'm really glad we read this. Yeah, I liked it a lot. It's and and it's only a dollar. It's hard to beat that, especially. No, you cannot beat that at all. So it, it's an interesting idea. It has a lot of, uh, like, you could do a lot of different things with it. Because the fact that you're not, he's not locking you into, like, hey, there's a hell. It's that there's many, many hells. And that each one could be completely different. The one we see in this story is, like, a Victorian kind mm -hmm. of costume party, but devolves into, you know, these mutants, like, ripping their masks off and going crazy. Mixed in with these, you know, mercenaries, you know, retrieving a dude in his underpants. It is tidy whities Yep. Everyone in hell wears tidy whities Yeah, it's it's not... With a title like Hellbreak, you're not going to get something, you know, heady and, you know, uh, thoughtful. It's very much like, look at this crazy monsters, move, 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 action, die hard, especially. Yeah, die hard brain. Mm -hmm. um, but fun. And it's a dollar. Uh, and it, it looks cool. It has monsters that, I you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for a good monster, especially things that, like, Look like the thing, like heads coming out of different parts. I always say things need more heads. But uh, I'm a buy. Solid. Solid buy. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not, you know, don't have to, not a lot to discuss, but you don't need to. Buy Hellbreak, number one. Double buy. Next up, our first Marvel book. When I was very interested to see, I had no, I had, I had no expectations for this because I had no idea what to expect. Did you buy that one too? Yeah, another... and it got water damaged. I'm so pissed. Oh, man. Well, I'm sure you can get a, pick up another copy if you want. I might have to. But it, this is Howard the Duck, number one. 
uh, written by Chip Sidarsky, Joe Quinones on art, Rico Renzi doing colors, and Travis Lanham on letters. Um, I, I don't know how, it's Howard the Duck, guys. It's, it's Chip Sidarsky writing Howard the Duck. I think I wasn't, I didn't know exactly what to expect, but I, it's, I guess it's this. It's, it's, it, it's, a, it's basically like a, a PG 13, PG 13 version of Chip Sidarsky mm. writing, writing, you know, a irreverent, you know, adventure book with Howard the Duck. You know, he's, getting he's going to jail he's in outer space he's talking to she-hulk uh it's, it's just you know it's stupid but it's fun i liked it where are you on this one eric oh god no it's i, I was i've been excited about this ever since zdarsky announced that he put up the last three pages of the book as a teaser which is a bummer because i knew how this issue ended <laughs> the get-go uh, there's pretty much nothing in this that I was not incredibly pleased to read that they are, they're, they're tracking down Black Cat and She-Hulk and her assistant with the monkey is in it. Mm-hmm. Um, God, this is, no, this is a hell of a fun book and I, I cannot wait to read this. I like that, uh, I like that Howard can't send texts for shit. It sounds, <laughs> hey, Seuss, man. Meet Nev in the roof of the Hollingsworth building on 3rd at 10 tonight. P.S. It's Howard. P.S. In a duck. <laughs> and Siri gets confused on Spider-Man's phone. <laughs> yes. it's There's a training montage mm-hmm. that involves a tattooist girl mm-hmm. uh, doing uh, bench presses while Howard is uh, trying to do the entrapment laser scene. And wears a shirt that says "No harm, no foul." Of course he does. Of course he does. Did you catch the name of the pizza company? The fake pizza company? No. Where's that? It just sits on the back of their shirts. It says "Good, good pizzas." Good pizzas. <laughs> good pizzas. That's clever. And then Jack Kirby Man shows up at the end to uh to to, to kidnap Howard. <laughs> That's his name, right? Jack Kirby Man. I hope so. It looks like Jack Kirby Man. Oh wait, it's Gatherer. Is that his name? Yes. Okay. Yeah, he looks like he's he looks like he's got a tiny modulate for a head. <laughs> yeah. Joe Canonis does a great job in his art. I've always enjoyed Joe Joe's art and uh I never really pegged him for like like I don't think I've ever seen him do like a quote unquote comedy book, like a or a light funny book. I've always seen him do more serious superhero stuff. And he does a good job of this. I think it, the comedy really it, it works really well. It's 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 fun and light. I'm a bye. <laughs> You should buy things from Mr. Zdarsky. Yeah. This <laughs> receptionist. It's just a... That's a pile of trash. <laughs> a pile of garbage. Yeah, it's fun. Double buy. How are the duck number one? And lastly, our last book of the week. It is the Nova Annual number one. Comicsology, come on, buddy. Written by Jerry Duggan, pencils by David Baldian, inks Terry Pallet, colors David Curiel, letters Comic Crafts, Albert Deschesnay. Deschain? Deschain. Uh, I don't know, I was looking at the Marvel books, and there's, there's plenty of other stuff we could have read, but we've read it before. So I was like, what's something we haven't read in a while? We haven't looked that, at any you wanted, to, you wanted to do all number ones. I didn't really think about it, but then I looked at it, I'm like, oh, it's all number ones. So, sure. Uh, this is just episode a episode that on accident... 
that happens a lot, actually. Uh, but this is just seeing Sam. He's his helmet's broken. He needs a fixer. He needs a, someone to fix his helmet, and he ends up with uh in, in Doc Green's doorstep. Don't call him the Hulk. Uh, stop looking at his butt. Stop looking at his butt, and him and him and uh, Sam go out in space and uh, have a little space adventure, trying to recover, get a new helmet for him, basically. Very light, very adventure-y. Uh, I would say this is definitely an all-ages kind of book. Mm. Uh, it's not, I would quote, quote, unquote, important, but I don't regret reading it. It was enjoyable. This endears me uh, tremendously to both these characters. And when we, when we read that book that long time ago, where mm-hmm. it introduced the Hulk as Doc Green, I'm like, this is stupid. But seeing him in this, I like it. It yeah. feels more like Tom Strong. Or, um, I can't think of the doctor's name. Um, Doc Savage. Savage is the one. Yeah. It feels more like that. And he looks like Nick Wooster, which I can get behind. But I, I, I really thoroughly enjoyed this and I had no idea what I was getting into. Duggan did a really good job on this book. Yeah. And the, the, uh, the art style really suits, I think, the kind of, like Saturday morning cartoon feel of like you know just fun space adventure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it's not a uh, it does not take itself seriously. It's 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 enjoyable and fun, and I, it makes it. You're right. It doesn't dear you. It makes me kind of want to hunt down those uh, Novas, past Nova books, and get into mm-hmm. Nova a little bit because I it's I, I I was reticent to read Nova because Richard Richard Ryder was my guy, and I don't. Sam's fine, it's just not the same, but, you know, this makes me, he's, it's, it's very fun. I love the bit where he finally takes off his helmet in front of, uh, Doc, Doc Green. And, yeah. Doc, oh, like, I don't know who you are. Why does it matter if I see your face? <laughs> hey, you're still a stranger. But, bye? But, of course. So, double bye. There we go. Nova annual number one. Guys, <laughs> Eric's dying over there. I can't help it. So I want you guys to uh, send him uh, cough drops, internet cough drops. I bought a lot of other comics this week. Did not I know, read them. I, saw. I bought Spider Gwen and I bought Thor and I bought Miss Marvel. Eric, did you read any of those books that I bought? No. Okay. <laughs> I was going to, but I did not. No, I, I wanted to read Spider Gwen in particular, but I did not. It will be there. It will Ms. be there Marvel. for us. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I it's seldom and then Thor. I'm I and uh, as well Captain Marvel, the uh, the next Warren Ellis and Kelly Sue co-written co-written book. I wanted to read that as well, and yet I have not, because uh, as we will soon soon find out, uh, both Eric and I have been gallivanting around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, for further ado, it is time for checking in. Where's that noise? Oh, there it is. <laughs> There we go. Check, there we go. Check it as far as show. Eric and I will talk about what we up to during the week. Uh, recommend things, uh, you know, stuff like that. Eric, what have you been up to during the week aside from going to a wedding with me? You're telling me I can't check in with that. Don't you want to? Don't don't you? We should we should just talk about that first. Sure, we can. We went to a wedding, guys. <laughs> mm-hmm. We did to, to uh, our our mutual friend Matt and his uh, his now wife Melissa. Mm-hmm. Funny how that works. <laughs> now, now they're married. They uh, he he broke up with her and then married her because that's how that works. You have to if you're dating someone, you have to break up with them and then marry them. 
I mean, that's that's how the status works, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. You have to mod it to nothing, and then you mod it to married. Right, exactly. It's un- I mean, it's only one status at a time. You have to remove the status. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like you know sockets in Diablo. <laughs> so, is that the analogy we're going for? It's like yeah, sockets sure. in Diablo. Okay. Yeah, you'd remove Good. the gem and then you put well, in the the new gem. That's I'll mention that. I'll mention that to my fiance. Maybe we can get some Diablos in our wedding. We'll tell it. Yeah. Well, everyone wants to invite Diablo to their wedding. <laughs> But Matt is a Matt co-hosts uh, my other podcast with me, uh, and uh, we are uh, we went to his wedding in Orlando, and it was fun. It was a good wedding. It was we indeed were, fun. They are nerds, as uh, we already knew that. But <laughs> it was the best, probably one of the best weddings I've been to because they didn't care about uh, how a wedding's supposed to go. Yeah, is what they they're want. like <laughs> they're like whatever. We're gonna have candy and lightsabers. <laughs> yeah, candy and lightsabers and uh, like uh, a zillion little mini cupcakes, and uh, you know, do what you want. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just hang out, take pictures, use the photo booth that crashed <laughs> a couple yeah, times. Yeah, that was really funny that it crashed. Yes, tell you what kind of guy Matt is. He programmed his own photo booth with a Raspberry mm-hmm. Pi. And then we watched it crash a couple times and laughed. <laughs> ah, good times. Ah, good times. <laughs> what else? Eric, what else do you want to talk about? What else have you been doing? Oh, man. I was I, I, I was purposefully avoiding talking to you about this. I talked to Matt about it, though. Uh-oh. At, at his wedding. <laughs> what is that? I was talking about the robot that I've made. You made a robot? Technically, I, well, it depends on your definition of robot and maid. Okay. <laughs> I installed a thing that's called Hubot on a Linux virtual machine. I'm running it on my server. And you can get adapter. Basically, it's a chat bot. Okay. That you send text to it through various ways of sending text to it. You could use an IM client. Uh, you could use a chat program. <clears throat> And there are various adapters that you can use, and I've used one for an application that we use at work called Slack. So now there's like this little robot that just hangs out in all of the chat rooms in Slack, and we can ask it to do things, and it does things. And I've been obsessed with this for about three weeks, but I could not around with it because I had to do paintings and drawings and go to weddings and do all this busy stuff and on Friday, about 5.15, I just sat down and messed around with it and finally got it working. It's very cool. I've been having a real good time with it. Would you suggest it to all the Linux people out there? It, it, it's got very limited applications, but a lot of people are very excited about it because you can do really interesting extensions with it. Um, and it's teaching me. I'm learning about things like Node.js and NPM. It was a package manager for Node.js. Um, it's just for the sake of learning those things, I think it's been interesting. And I would say it's a fun thing to play around with. And it's very easy to make your own extensions for it. So it's just, I don't know. It's been a fun toy to play around with. So if, uh, if you want to have a little robot that you can talk to, you can do a lot worse. <coughs> Who bought? Who bought? Yeah. I was actually tweeting. With the uh, the author of it, he's a very open guy. Was very eager to help me with my problems, but I'm sort of 
this is this is sort of not ready for my level of computer user. It's not really intended for that. This is this is intended for someone with a computer science degree for the most part. Oh, okay. Like all the all the how tos are very sporadic, and a lot of it's just like, yeah, do this and this and this. And I'm like, great. How the fuck do I do that? What are you talking about? So I'm stumbling through a lot of it, but it runs right now, and it's I'm I'm enjoying messing around with it. Who bought? <laughs> you okay there? Mm-hmm, fine. Okay. <laughs> on the on that same note of robots, I picked up Alex and Ada number two. Cool. Came out not so long ago. I think the first of this month it came out, or not long after. I I uh, really enjoyed the Alex and Ada that was in the humble bundle. Um, and this is just more of the same. It's a very cute story. The art is very, very simple. Um, I think kind of to its detriment, because a couple panels even seem like they're copying and pasting other panels. It's a little problematic to me. But um, it's a good story. It's an interesting story. It's cute. And I'm very interested to see where it's going. I have to do a book club with it eventually. Yeah, well, one and two. I can uh, I can certainly let you read my uh, DRM-free copies of the first one. I think I have that Humble Bundle. I would not be surprised. It was a crazy good deal. Yeah, they always are. (laughs) Yeah, well, this one, it was like 20 different books, 20 different trades or something. Mm -hmm. And I I paid like $15. Actually, no, you could, the least you could pay to get everything was $15 or something. I paid like $25 because Jesus. Anyway. Anyway. That's all I have to check in with. Do you like Uh to... Would you like to show off how well your voice works and check in? <laughs> sure. Uh, I am incredibly busy <laughs> with everything in my life. Uh, I have nothing going on. No, nothing going on. We are, as of time of recording, we'll be moving back. My fans and I are moving back to Orlando in three weekends from now. Yep. Yep. Uh, we are very excited about that. Uh, we missed Orlando and we're very happy to be moving back there. We love the town. We like kind of the vibe there. We have a lot of friends and family nearby, including Mr. Goodnight. Um, it's a really weak woo. <laughs> but woo. We, had, we were in town for that aforementioned wedding, so we looked for houses and or places to rent. And at this point, we'd like, we're, we're not really looking for apartments anymore, so we want to rent a house or a, a worst a condo or townhouse. And, uh, we found a couple places uh, that we will be seeing very shortly where we'll be living. And then then busy packing and moving things. And then also worrying about our wedding and et cetera, et cetera. So we are all this plus our normal work plus, you know, I my all my podcasts that I <laughs> co-host and, and produce. Mm-hmm. All that too. And uh, doesn't leave much time for anything else. So I did look for houses. I do want to recommend a – I've re- checked in with uh, Ink Studs podcast before. With, uh, has, um, I can't remember the guy's name, the actual host of it. I know Brandon Graham's on it all the time. He's actually, Brandon Graham is also in on this episode, but the, uh, gu- the guest in this episode is Scott McCloud. Okay. And, and Scott McCloud, it's, it's their newest episode. So it, it, they recorded it a while back. I think it was, might've been end of last year when they actually recorded it. So this is before Sculptor actually was released, but a lot of the conversation was about the Sculptor, about, um, Cloud's kind of ideas about it how his work workflow went with it uh, it was very interesting i mean especially it, it kind of dovetails 
uh, nicely with our discussion. Uh, uh, the thing I definitely, I noted specifically is that the ending, which is the thing we kind of had our biggest problem with, was the ending of that book and how it felt strange a little mm-hmm. bit. And he said, of all the things I really remembered is that, because he, he went back and did like, he had like five rough drafts of the entire book. And then he redrew it, like he redrew it five, like did rough layouts and and like thumbnails five times before he went back and did a final finished drawing of everything. And then apparently redid the first 40 or so pages again <laughs> after all that. But the thing he said was the ending never really changed, which is, he says that's the thing, that's the thing that he had in my, like he felt like that was in my, in place the entire time. He never felt like it, it nothing ever shifted in that. Like, he said a lot of things, like he was finding the core of the book throughout the rest of it, but the ending, he says, was fairly stable, and that it never really changed. And I was like, that's very interesting, I guess, because it's just the fact that we were, like, felt like that is the thing that was out of place in the story. I I think that all of that actually kind of makes sense, because I think that all of those rewrites, all that labor added a lot of... um, nuance to it you know Mm -hmm. it did not feel overworked and it felt like he was it feels like all that went towards making something better and richer more vibrant and that ending feels too simple it feels like the darling that should have been killed a long time ago (laughs) yeah i i I can't disagree with you i mean we've already kind of gone on record with all that but i just it's very interesting to hear his take on that process and and he's and obviously he's an incredibly intelligent guy and really smart about comics and hearing them talk about Robin McConnell that's the host's name Robin McConnell with Brandon Graham and talking to Scott McCloud just hearing these guys bounce you know comic book stuff back and forth between themselves they talk about manga influences and McCloud's such a scholar about of comics and stuff like that he it's really refreshing I I a lot of the times having just Brandon Graham and Robin McConnell and some other indie artists talk, get up their own butts for a while. It gets a little annoying, but Scott McCloud is so educated and, and scholarly that he doesn't kind of allow that to happen, which is why I, I would definitely suggest this episode in particular podcasting studs. It's uh, it's, it's really good, <sighs> but yeah, cool. look, look for houses, podcasts, you know, those things, life, life decisions. Mm-hmm. That's check. Can I check in with that life decisions? I think that it's it's what's happening. <laughs> it's true. Happy. I'm I'm excited. Yes, guys. So uh, hopefully we can maintain a steady publishing schedule during all this. I think we can. I think we can fight through it. It's just gonna be a little. It might be that one that weekend. I don't know if I have internet. That might be the uh, the the biggest problem. We'll see. Um, I think it's. I think that's it, though, Eric. That sounds like enough to me. I think so too. But with that, it is time for Nerd Boy Book Club. Do you like my singing, Eric? I was going to say the book club sounds a little different this time. (laughs) Nerd Boy Book Club is the part of the show where Eric I will assign a longer collected work and we'll discuss it in depth like you would a book club. Except it's a comic book. Get it? Ha ha ha. This week we are beginning our three-week-long, three-episode-long retrospective on Preacher. Garth Ennis, Steve Dillon, acclaimed uh, series from the 90s. Uh, this week, we are doing the first three trades. You want to chime in there, Eric? Yes. 
<laughs> First three trades, issues one through twenty six, which Eric had pointed we point pointed this out to me during the weekend that this would normally not be split this would not be split up into three trades anymore. No. No. If this is a modern comic, they would have cut this up into five different arcs in some way and mm-hmm. you would have had five trades out of this instead of just three. Because it's it's a lot of material that I didn't really like I didn't really think about it, but twenty six issues I'm only in in only three trades. That's like those are thick trades. This is back in the days when they're like, Oh, no one's gonna pay fifteen dollars for four issues. Who would ever do that? We gotta put like ten issues in there and charge them fourteen ninety nine. Yeah. We don't really get that anymore for the most part. Nope. Nope. Uh, uh where do we start with all this? This is uh, a lot. A lot to talk about, Eric. Want to talk about? Okay, we both read it before. You have a you talk about that. I guess start. What's your history with uh, Preacher? When did you first read it? I did not read it obviously when it first came out, but I was not too far out of that. That it was the early two thousands when I was reading this. Um, as such, I kind of see it through a couple of different lenses. That I I see it very much as a part of. It was one of my gateway drugs into more modern comics and it really was for a lot of people that it was part of this whole movement of comic books aren't for kids comic books are for adults you know now i think what the narrative is trying to say is comic books are for everybody Mm -hmm. but then they were struggling to say comic books are for adults and this was screaming that so so loud um and particularly at that point in my life my early 20s that this really spoke to me i can't i don't know why quite so much um well i i think i could i think i could pin a reason on it maybe for me specifically or why it speaks to people well you mainly i think and that speaks to the public in general but i don't know i i didn't know you then so i can't say for sure but I think I can see some clear corollaries between this and Southern Bastards. Which oh, I yeah. Know you and, love. I, and that didn't even occur to me until this reread. Um, well, the ideas like it, of, of masculinity and mm-hmm. and culture and, and... Yes. they You don't even think about Preacher in that way? I, I mean, I... It, but it really is very there. Cl- no, it's very clearly a book about masculinity. Um, it's... The whole book is almost like worships masculinity. It's, it's, it's positive and negative on it. I mean, it shows the good and bad, but like all these scenes where like, you know, Tulip's like petting Jesse and she's like, Oh my God, you're so beautiful. (laughs) And he's just like, Yeah, I know, babe. (sighs) Marbles. Smoking. That's how you get your voice to sound like this. Well, when you have the, when you have the word of God, it has to be sound, it has to sound manly. I guess so. What does that sound like in your head? What? The word? How he uses the voice? Mm Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't really, I think it, to me, it, I never thought it sounded differently. I think he just, it's not necessarily, I don't, I don't think it sounds like through your ears, it doesn't sound different. I think in your head, it sounds different. Mm-hmm. Like your ears hear him just saying something with like emphatically, but your head like you hear like like you're getting punched in your brain. Like that's I can't, I don't know if there's any I don't think it has anything to do with necessarily sound. 
Like I think that it just you feel it. It's like a like an earthquake. So it's 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 voice punches to go with yeah. eye punches. Voice punches. Pair him up with Cyclops who has eye punches, and then mm-hmm. you just need every cent sense, and then you'll get a every sense punch. Mm-hmm. I uh, I I have the power of touch punches. I think I do too, actually. Now that you mentioned, oh wow, it. we're both X Men. Uh, but is that? Uh, I think that's part of the reason it speaks. I don't know if that was why it spoke to you in your twenties, early twenties. But I'm I don't think I think I just sort of ran roughshod over that. I was just sort of impressed by the idea of you know fantasy, science fiction, comic book stories that were alternative. Mm-hmm. That I think that certainly that spoke to a lot of people in the 90s. That spoke to a lot of people my generation, a lot of people in the early 2000s. So, I mean, that it was still relevant then. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of like rage at authority mm-hmm. and like, like ir- just the- general irreverence to it. Pretty much any authority figure all the way up to God. I was about to say. Is, is like, fuck you. I mean, that's the, the book is like, getting the ultimate authority, making him answer for yeah. his, his, his crimes, his supposed crimes, his, you know, you, someone is gonna stand up to him, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's Jesse Custer. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's interesting because all of these authority figures are all men, but they're yeah. bad men. They're bad men. Mm-hmm. And all of, Really, the good guys, I mean, they're, they're men as well. Jesse and, uh, to an extent, Cassidy. Um, but, and, but, but even like, even Jesse's dad, you know, mm-hmm. he's not really presented as anything other than just like a flawed, normal guy just trying to do his thing. He's basically exactly functionally identical to Jesse, mm-hmm. just in a different time period. Um, I don't know. I think that it's interesting that there is this rage against authority, that there is this rage against these, these, uh, these, this, like these patriarchs. Mm-hmm. But what's replacing it is not necessarily that different other than, hey, they're not bad guys. Well, maybe it's, it's like a, it is a critique of maybe toxic masculinity, but this is clearly so full of, a lot of toxic masculinity. You know, even the good guys are like, oh, you can't be too sensitive. And I know that uh, gotta there's be, like, gotta be homophobic and you gotta blah, blah, blah. There's so many bar fights in this comic. Yeah. No, we're not true. even, there's so much bar fights. I think we were joking about this comic has more people's faces getting shot off than any mm-hmm. other comic ever. There's also more bar fights in this comic than in ever than any other comic. More, more bar fights, faces shot off, and cigarettes lit. There's a, there are a lot of cigarettes lit too. That's right. Yeah. That's very, very true. There's much, there's a lot of smoking. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, and, I mean, and talking about masculinity, I mean, his imaginary, I don't know what to, it's not, he's, it's John he's Wayne. A, his, his, his spirit animal. Spirit animal is John, literally is John Wayne. Yes. Which is, yes. yeah, that's, is the kind of that, that crossing between you know the epitome of of masculinity, like mm-hmm. the the border guard between toxic and non toxic masculinity. Yes, like 
like John Wayne is, yes, he's, all, yeah, we all love John Wayne, but yeah, some of the stuff is he represented in those films are pretty awful. Like, you mm-hmm. go back and watch his westerns, you're like, oh, wow, that's terrible. <laughs> terrible things, how they treated women in those, even in those movies. Just, oh, what was it? The, his, his hearing stories about him on True Grit, you know, the, the original True Grit, their, his problems with the, his female co-star. Not do tell. Not, not complimentary to to John to John Wayne. <laughs> you know, just the general you know misogyny, and I don't like her, so I'm not going to talk to her because she's not the woman I want for this role. She's not pretty enough. Is is the gist of it? But I read this the first time just last year. Was right? I'd read. I, I remember. No, I mean, you might have even checked in with it. Yeah, but I, I remember you talking about it and texting oh it is finished preacher yeah it's and i rereading it at least so far i was because the first time was just like a whirlwind i'm like just hitting me in the face of like Mm -hmm. garth ennis like wow it's insanity but rereading it it's there's we you had mentioned this before it's very dense there's a Mm -hmm. lot of storytelling on any any given page there's a lot of stuff happening and it is actually very it's structured very like you it's not He's not just making it up as he goes along. There's a lot of stuff laid out very clearly early on that you don't, I didn't really notice the first time through. And I'm going to have to, I'm, and hopefully it can, that can color the, my further reading because I'm interested to see how it further lays out. Because I don't, a, a, I was going to say it's been about a year or two since I've reread these myself. Um, maybe three or four years. I don't remember, but. Upon rereading these first two, I mean, I agree with you. I think they're some of the better structure and some of the better, uh, possibly some of the best writing just for the sake of writing that he's ever done. And when I compare these two first ones to what my memory is of the later ones, these are much better, that they're a lot more decompressed later on. And probably, I, I, I'm going to say not as good as these first two. I'm coming off of I'm coming off of this this read of these first three books. Mm-hmm. Very impressed with book one and two. No, yeah, they're very, it's very tight. Mm. It's it it tells a lot of story. It really fills in. It it's it's very artful on how he explores each character and lays out their histories in different ways. And you don't he keeps the mystery around the of Jesse and Tulip's past cuz both of them don't want to tell the other what they've been doing and why Jesse just left her one day which we eventually is revealed uh mm-hmm. but it, it's it 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 ties you to the characters because you want to know the mystery just as much as they do and so you it it makes you feel very empathetic to them and makes you more interested more engaged in their story you want to keep reading because you care about them and care because you're, what you care about and what they care about is the same thing. I know you You said – I don't know. Like I – since I only read the whole thing through once, I can, I'm, I'm interested to definitely see how it goes on later. And we'll get into that for sure in the next couple episodes is there's – that's the general complaint about Preacher is that it – the last – like the second to last arc or next to second to last arc, whatever, is filling. It feels like padding doesn't necessarily yeah. feel like integral to the story whatsoever but i just come through these i this this is like i'm i was kind of surprised that all this stuff happened in these first three books because mm-hmm. i had remembered it more spread out like it seemed like this stuff happened 
more paced more through like the stuff with his family. I thought it happened later, not so like it happens very early. Yeah, when I think of all the high points of what doesn't happen in these first three books, mm-hmm. I, there's there's a lot of decompressed storytelling, or at least there has to be. Either that or there's tons that I'm forgetting. I mean, there's a lot of lore and there's flashbacks and there's a lot of little things that have to be done, but there's um, they cover tons of ground. Mm-hmm. I mean, introduce like basically all the principal characters. Introduce the Grail. Introduce mm-hmm. the the Pope of the Grail. Introduce Star. Show mm-hmm. the show the coup. Show the fallen angel. Introduce and have like a couple of stories with interludes with the Santa Killers. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's it. It's damned action packed. It's it's just the hits kept coming. It's it's pretty incredible. Yeah, I'm I'm anxious to see how the next couple bits read because I. This is the stuff I remember from my one read through, like all these, like the stuff with his family and the stuff with the Grail. Like I remember all that, and mm-hmm. I'm curious to see later how how it colors me. I'm I know there's things I'm forgetting, but I'm interested to see how it holds up. I guess you want to talk about Steve Dillon a little bit, Eric. Ugly, ugly Steve Dillon. <laughs> I honestly, I, th- I think this is his. I don't know if the pretty is the way to, I don't know if I call any of his art pretty, so to speak, but it feels like this is the prettiest of the art of his art I've seen. Like I've seen his work later work on stuff and it feels like this is the quote unquote prettiest. I don't know. <laughs> to me, it, it doesn't, it doesn't really... seem like it, it doesn't seem like it looks very different. Like when he draws the Punisher, it looks like preacher. Well, I yeah, his style those, is one, still certainly identifiable. I just mean like, oh, yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's mainly he's just putting more effort into this or it's not, he probably didn't have to work on a, uh, a strict timeline as he has to do with superhero books or whatever. It's hard to say. I don't, I don't know how yeah, that works. You're right. You're right. Ugly. That you, you, mm. you were joking about Jesse Custer being the, like the handsomest man that there is and yet still not, not so great looking. No. Everybody in Preacher is ugly as hell. God, Tulip is like the homeliest looking human I've ever seen. And Jesus Desaad, or Jesus Desaad, I don't know. I Which do Jesus. you think it is? I think I forgot Jesus. he was, I think either one is the thing acceptable. Probably. But they just, they, he's, they, he's supposed to be very good looking. Someone literally describes him as very good looking. <laughs> and he is the hideous, most hideous person. I've ever seen. Yeah, he does. if I saw someone that looked like that, I would fucking scream and run away. Jesus Christ! I think I, but, the only person that looks the way that he should is Cassidy. Yeah, I agree. Cassidy is like, I don't know. He's like a punk rock stoner. I don't know. He's he's amazing. He's one of the best worst characters ever. <laughs> It's a, yeah, vampire, just Mm -hmm. out of the blue. Like, that's... uh, Oh, yeah. Such, I don't know how that happened. Like, oh, we're just going to have a vampire. No, everything about Cassidy is so incongruous. The whole thing that he's just like, Irish kid, like, whatever, I'm in Ireland. Oh, shit, a bog monster. Ah, (laughs) now I'm a vampire. Yeah. And it's It's very, like, very Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. But, I mean, 
you're, it's introduced to you so early into the book. Yeah. And it fits, it's so radically different from the aesthetic of the story that you're just like, this is what this is. Yeah, you get used you know, to it. It's, it's like, it's a punk rock alcoholic vampire and, you know, redneck machismo preacher guy. It is such, it is, it, it's like such a goofy, like, it makes no sense to me that Jesse continues to wear that preacher collar <laughs> throughout this whole story. It ha- when th- I I explain it to myself in that he, it's like his pride in that he earned it and so he's going to continue to wear it. And, and it's, I think, is an additional fuck you to authorities in that they know who he is and he doesn't care. He's going to wear it anyway. Mm-hmm. I think that's how I explain it. It really doesn't make any sense at all, but that's how I make it make sense, I guess. Suspension of disbelief a little bit. But the ugliness of his art is, it, the world is, in this world is ugly and, and gross. Like mm-hmm. all of it is just disgusting. And that's why it works so well. Yeah. You're, there's you're, a, there's a definite harmony between the way this is written and the way Steve Dillon draws it. And there's like a weird synergy there. For some reason, each one gives the other one, I don't know, a little bit more validity. Because I don't think that Dylan is really an amazing artist, but he's a great storyteller for this book. And it just works. It was something that was so very different from so many of the mainstream comic book styles. And it so clearly showed you this world. It was Mm -hmm. Dylan world. And the fact that the the stylistic consistencies are across all the characters, and they're all just so fucking horridously ugly, it, it 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 somehow enhances it. It somehow works. Like I think if he drew all hideously ugly men and all beautiful women, it might not have made sense. What are your thoughts on that? No, I agree with you. And it does. They they, they work together very well. And that the fact that I mean, and is. All of his books, for the most part, are kind of colored in this way. Uh, I mean, they're about, a lot of them are about horrific things and, and, and the gross parts of humanity. Mm-hmm. And I, the fact that, like, that it immerses you in that world, seeing Dylan's art, where you, you... know, go ahead and finish, sorry. No, no, that you, you, when you go, oh, when you see every character look like that, you go, you feel the grime you feel the feel the grit and it does and again it it makes you when jesse custer wants to you know take god to task and doesn't put up with shit from anyone in this awful gross world it makes you you're like yeah this this world's terrible and he wants to do something about it and it makes you like him makes you like him more because it you you feel like you're in this gross world and you don't like it necessarily you don't like the bad things that are happening and jesse doesn't either you know it's interesting particularly that you talk about the grossness of it Mm -hmm. because it it even from page one never wanted to shy away from that nope it's the kind of book that in these first couple of stories it it's like well here are these parts of these things this is what the story's about and if you happen to pass by something gross and horrible in the story, it doesn't even flinch at. It's just like, yeah, that's there. Fucking deal with it. Um, somewhere along the line, it changes to be a little bit too much about that grossness. Do you agree with that? Yes or no? 
Uh, just in these first three books, or in, no, well? not necessarily. These ones, these ones are more about sort of laying out the vision and telling some stories in that world, and maybe maybe the 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 Jesus decide uh, is starting to be just about shock. Maybe, um, maybe like the the Pope of the Grail is mm-hmm. a little bit too much about being shock value. Maybe these are turning points where it's just shock and gross stuff, and that's what it's turned into. Yeah, I don't. My recollection of it is that oh, that you know the giant pope, fat dude, whatever. Like the fact that he, you know, I, I, I can take the fact that he's so disgusting because you're supposed to not, you're supposed to see that he's so disgusting. Mm-hmm. Like that's like you're supposed to. He's supposed to be vile and just awful. And so when he just is like, you know, he, he vomits up his food and eats more, just vomits on himself. And like that grossness, like I can buy it because that it's in that character. And I don't remember any particulars from after this that are like, wow, that's really gross. But I do remember reading it the first time thinking some of the things were just like for shock value and shock value's sake alone. A lot of the like weird sex perversion stuff that like are just played for quick jokes. Like, I think that's the worst offense of it. Like, yes, you're, like, I think you could have not mentioned, like, the, yeah, I know you're supposed to not like these guys, and, like, look how they're, they're you know, they fuck animals or whatever. They're mm-hmm. weirdos. But then, like, you didn't have to necessarily have any of that stuff as, like, gags. When you could, like, if you want to make them be disgusting, like, all, I mean, all it takes is that moment when Jesse sees the kid in there and beats the living shit out of uh, Jesus or Jesus. Like, that's... I mean, that's enough to make people not like him, if that's what you're trying to do. Like, make him mm-hmm. a, someone who takes per- perversions too far and, you know, is, is hurting people. And, and like, I know the, the, I do remember what happens to Star's head, you know, that his head looks like a, a dick. Like mm-hmm. that joke. And I know that gets driven into the ground and all that. I, I, that's the, I think the word, like Ennis, I think that's the, Probably the biggest complaint about Garth Ennis at his worst is that he just puts the stuff out there for shock value because he probably thinks it's funny or because he thinks it's interesting, like just to put it out there and see what <laughs> happens to how people react. I'm guessing, like, because at the same point, like, are the last two issues of this are very introspective history about Cassidy, mm-hmm. and like, there's no shock value stuff in it at all. It is all about. I'm aside from there's a vampire, a bog monster, but that's not gross. It's not any like gross, disgusting stuff. It's just like, here's like a story about how he became a vampire, his history and how he's seen people age while he has stayed the same and is, is a character study in two issues that has nothing, no kind of gross overtones. And that's the thing. Like, well, look how good it can be when Garth Ennis doesn't rely on that shock value crap. But at the same, like, I, it doesn't need to be there some of the times. I'm like, why is this here? It doesn't add to the book. It just makes it less relevant, I think, when you, because people can point at it and go, well, look at that. That's stupid. Why is that in this supposed to be meaningful book? Like, I think that's a thing that happens in comics is that, well, like, the, the, the division between an, a book, a comic book for an adults and a, a quote unquote adult book where it just has, hey, look, there's stuff in here that's gross and bloody and gory and sex. You know stuff, but it doesn't add anything to the book. Mm. I don't think this would be quite the same if it wasn't, you know, violence and full of screwing. No, I think if I think if it danced around that or shied around it, it would be 
it would be pretty different. No, I, I'm not saying there shouldn't be violence or sex. I'm just saying like the little things like, mm-hmm. and it's very early on. It, I, and it, I mean, it's happens just once an issue. You're not really think about it too much, but like there's a gag early on about Jesus needing or Jesus. I still it feels stupid saying Jesus. Uh, needing I think that's the irony of it. He's eating yeah. ice cream, chocolate ice cream off his fist. That is, well, I was going to mention that as well, but the, even earlier than that, like the first time we see him, they talk about gerbil lubricant mm-hmm. or hamster lubricant, some, you know, some stupid thing like that. And it's just like, why? Like, that's a thing. That's not a real thing. Like, it, it, it the gag is just so, if they just said, I need lubricant and then later cut to it, like that, that shot is included like in that, in that whole house, that party scene, there's a gerbil somewhere. Like that's it's not subtle. It's and I know this mm. book isn't subtle, but I don't. It's not funny either. I didn't think it was funny. Like you're supposed to paint this guy. Like he had just talked about how he needs enough heroin for an entire party. I think we get the idea that he's a deviant. I don't know. I guess that's part of the book is that it's incredibly over the top. But the problem is Garth Ennis has continued to do this in other mm-hmm. books, and it's not the novelty wears off. Right when he when he takes it as you know this is my formula. And I'm just going to see how far I can take it and how depravity for the sake of depravity and let me top what I did before. Like, I think he's he was writing a fairly good story, The Boys. Mm -hmm. And I think it's much less effective because it's trying to be as gross as it can be. He literally said, I'm going to out preacher preach this book. And I think it's too much. Have you read any of The Boys? I have not. You would hate it. Yeah, shock for shock by his sake doesn't do anything for me anymore. Well, it's kind of like an exploration of sort of that wave of Alan Moore dark comics and like, you know, all these people with like personality disorders and this guy's a pedophile and, and all this stuff, except like everyone in the world, like it's an incredibly peopled world full of super, uh, superheroes and nearly all of them are just fucking horrible degenerates. Basically, like, they just have, like, conferences once a year to just <laughs> have sex and pederasty and whatever nasty shit they want to do. Mm-hmm. It's just big, gross orgies where it's just a very grim book, and it's all, um, it's all just horrific shit for the sake of being horrific. Anyway, yeah, I don't think you would care for it. I'll probably eventually get around to just dipping my toe into it just to see, because I know no, I think you've should... talked about it before, and I've heard a lot of other people talk about it online and stuff. It is it is not a terrible book, um, and I think we should do it honestly for book clubs some point, at least a couple of them, if not all of them, because there's many. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember going to the comic store and just seeing, like, 12 trades or something ridiculous of, of the mm-hmm. boys, and it's like, that's a lot. I have a question for you. Lay it on me. Do you think that this book, we talked about it earlier about the, the, the masculine, about the topic of masculinity and toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. Do you think this book ever does broach into misogyny? Just off the cuff, I want to say that yes, but I can't really give too many examples of it. I feel like it's kind of a product of a slightly less enlightened time. So the women characters are a little flatter. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that being said, Tulip is, Tulip is not like, she's not like a non-character, you know? No. no. She has things that she wants. She has her arcs. 
she has her strengths and weaknesses. She's she's a little written to be, oh, I'm the girl, you know? Yeah. She's there to say the stereotypical things and be like, ugh, men, you know? It, it's a little corny that way. Um, I can't give any clear-cut examples of just being straight-up misogynist unless you're going to talk about the, uh, what's it called, um, benevolent sexism. Like, I think Jesse is definitely going to be guilty of being a benevolent sexist. Yeah, he wants to protect Tulip. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, and I, I think it's not as bad because they discuss it. It is a point in the book about how she doesn't think, she doesn't want to be protected, but mm-hmm. he protects her and he does things in various ways to, like, just, you know, get her out of the line of fire, so to speak, even though she's quite capable, uh, when put in that position. I, I don't know if that, makes it defensible as a whole the fact that it's addressed and is a and is a point of the story mm-hmm. but it still feels like well there's tulip and there's who what uh the the grail woman the woman who works for star featherstone feather featherstone and they look almost identical and then there's his grandmother yep is there any any anyone else i'm forgetting in I'm these three books no that's it yeah I mean, the mother's introduced, but she's not really a character. Not really, for much. Not, not in the way that his dad is. Yeah, right. Oh, Lord, yeah, she's definitely, compared to him, she's very flat. But, you know, spoiler alert, as you know, she mm-hmm. is a she is a character later on in the series. They expound on that later. One of my favorite stories from later in uh, the series. You know something that we haven't talked about? What? The Glenn Fabry paintings. Oh, the covers? Yeah. Yeah. I was smitten with these Glenn Fabry paintings. I don't... I think that was also... <laughs> that was also something that was kind of a new idea in comics at the time, is uh, legitimate illustration, legitimate, like, more artful work. I mean, there was there was this, and then there was Dave McKean doing the covers for The Sandman. And this kind of stuff, I mean, DC Vertigo was blazing path back then. They were really leading the way for this stuff that, you know, they were, it was just to step away from traditional covers and uh, traditional penciling and inking. And I don't know, that's a, it's a bold step. It's really fascinating. It's, it's interesting what's grown out of it. I think I'm not, I'm not articulating sort of what I'm going after too well here, but I think it can't really be overstated the importance of these Vertigo books on what comics are today. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Very influential. I mean, I'm pretty positive I never saw anything on a comic book shelf that looked anything like this. Yeah, they, they catch your eye. Until this, yeah. And it adds, it does add, it gives them credibility mm-hmm. to, yes, they're adults for comic, do comics for adults, not, you know, you, this is not something that, it's not childish, it's not cartoony, it is, it is kind of marketing at, like, the base level, like, look, this is different. Look, this is serious. Take us seriously. This was the first issue. Yeah, I have, uh, I have iconic, all the covers. I'm looking at the iconic, thumbnails for all the covers yeah, right now. The iconic uh, picture of Jesse, his hands folded, the burning church. 
I I imagine that got a lot of people to pick it up out of nowhere. That had to have caught some attention. But I'd say it's it was very everything about it was calculated really well. Like I can't help but think, you know, Ennis did a real good job recruiting Ennis and or uh, Dylan and Fabry. It's um they were really making a statement. No, they're right up there with those uh those animal animal man covers by uh, Brian Boland. Oh yeah, same absolutely, same kind, of, same kind of idea. And that wasn't that wasn't um, wasn't Vertigo, but it was. It, was it, it almost it almost could have been Vertigo. No, it it yeah, he belonged more at Vertigo. I think. Do you think that this sort of these sort of Vertigo books were a reaction to say Morrison, which came first? I'm trying to think. Really, certain Animal Man was before this. It feels like it should be. I can tell you in a second. Yeah, it was way before. It was, Animal Man was 88, 90. Mm-hmm. These were like 92. 96. 96 is the first one. Was it really? Yep. I can't, that doesn't Ended seem right in, because this, this cover says 95. Oh, that's the trade. Well, the trade was, the first trade was released in, in 1996, in March, yeah. March 1st, 96. So probably late 95, I'm guessing. Let me, I can't get a date on it. Uh, it doesn't say anywhere specifically. Let's see if there's a date on. Nope. Who knows? Yeah, but um, no, I think this that this is the long. I think all I think those Animal Man books were. It's, it's great. It's Morrison. It's it's Alan Moore. This is the next. You know, mm-hmm. after them is Ennis and Ellis. Oh, of course. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about there? Do you think Jesse's a good person? No. <laughs> Neither do I. He's not a good person. He's a very interesting person, though. Yeah. And he's he's a just the force of will, force of will he has, and you know his sense of right and wrong. Mm-hmm. He's got a he's got a code of honor. Yeah, and that's not necessarily good. I don't think a good person would have would be would act like he does. But it's I don't know. This is not a superhero comic. It's he doesn't need to be a good guy to make it be interesting. I think it's because he's not a good guy. It makes it more interesting. It's hard not to like him, though, just the, despite the fact that he's not a good guy. A likable guy, but not a good guy. Yeah. But I think we right? can, a, a lot of things we talk about, we're going to, they're going to be themes we're going to have to analyze as the book continues about his behavior and uh, about, you know, the uh, the masculinity and, and uh, about Garth Ennis' shock value writing and all that stuff. Let me think. What are we reading? Let's see what the next thing we're reading is. Is there anything else you want to touch on? Touch on it before we head on out. Hit the old dusty trail. <coughs> I don't know. You want to talk about like some favorite moments or favorite characters or any of that? Talk about something specific or do you just want to just kind of wrap um, it up? I mean, there, it boils down to me. Just the miss. <laughs> uh, one miss word. Miss is a, is a good moment. Yeah. It's a very good moment. Yeah. That's uh, I that it's probably my favorite. It's good. I really liked his rivalry with Jody. Yeah, that's also really good. When he finally beats him, mm-hmm. it's also a really good moment. I think that literally that's probably the biggest part of this whole story. That's just like literally here's mas- masculinity versus toxic masculinity, and first mm-hmm. to just fighting each other. Mm-hmm. Uh. He pulls that board with a nail out of it out of his face. 
Yeah, he's just like, yep, all right. That's different. Yep. <laughs> New guys like that growing up. Pull boards with nails in their face out. Not that exactly, but, you know, would just get some horrific injury and just be like, yep, mm-hmm. all right. Yeah, I've, seen a, I've seen my dad, like, drive a nail into his hand and just be like, okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Gross things like that. Yeah. I'm like, that, that's not good, Dad. Shouldn't do that. <laughs> and he's just like, well, that hurts. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. This, the, these these books make me think of Dad more often than not. You get that when you read them? Not my dad. They have a Dad vibe. I don't, I don't, well, I, it's hard. I mean, you think about your father just because of how Jesse thinks about his dad and yeah. that kind of thing. But it doesn't really remind me of my father. No, not that's, that's not what I'm trying to say. Okay. No, it's yeah, it's I mean, there's family in it. It's part of it, I think. I and I think that's also the religious uh, you know, the thematic religious imagery and stuff like that and what are you what are you pointing at? Do you know this who this guy is? The sexual investigator? No. Not the not the buggery guy, but this guy? No, who's that? He looks just like Mark Marin. Oh. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <clears throat> no. I think we're going to have to save the rest for the rest. There's a lot. There's a lot. And we'll have plenty to talk about in our next episode, which will we be, we'll be reading the, we're doing this by the trades. So we'll be reading trades, the fourth, fifth, and sixth, which are ancient history, Dixie fried and war in the sun. They collect, let's see, uh, see specials, of all the same killers, one through four story of, you know, who, and the good old boys plus Cassidy blood and whiskey and one man's war plus issues 27 through 40. So all that reading all those specials and issues 27 through 40. If you buy trades four, five and six, that's what they have in them. Amazing. Amazing. But I'm interested to see how it goes up against my recollections of it. Just reading it last year. And I'm, See where all our little storylines lead us. I just did a little finger gesture for no reason. It's good to gesture. It's fine. It is. That'll wrap us up for today. Some preacher talk in there. Uh-huh. Did a good. Preachers. I think we did a good. I think we did a good job, Eric. I think so. Okay. And good. We agree on that. I patted myself on the back. Nice. Like it. I would do it if I was there. You can pat yourself on the back wherever you are. That's true. But I pat you on the back. Okay. Okay. Uh, we are the Handsome Boys Comics Hour. You can find us at handsomeboyscomicshour.com. Uh, everything is there. New episodes, all that stuff, show notes. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash handsomeboyscomicshour. You can like us on there. You can follow us on Twitter at HBC Hour. Um, like the show, please rate, review, subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you find us. Uh, it really helps us out. Guess us new listeners. More people pay attention to us. More reviews you have. That's how people, uh, like, gauge if you're interesting podcast or not. Hey, they have, like, a million reviews. They must be good. Etc. Etc. You can find me on Twitter, uh, at MixMasterCereal. It's M-I-X-M-A-S-T-E-R-C-E-R-E-A-L. Eric, where can they find you online? Uh, when I'm not coughing and I can speak well, you can go to freewillunlimited.com. Or even when I'm sick, you can see my portfolio there. It works most of the time. Sure. Uh, you can also see most of the things I get up to online uh, at ericzgoodnight.com, including my Tumblr and Pinterest pages. Um, you can tweet right at me if you happen to use Twitter. Twitter handle is Mr. Bad Example, spelled MR Bad Example. So with that, folks, we will call it a day. Have a good one. Uh, rock and roll. <laughs>